scripture can be taken, well, you can prove anything out of scripture if you take a, a verse out of context. And uh, that's what's happened all the time. And uh, I think um, it'd be good if you understood that uh, most, most doctrines of people that, that go wrong, uh, they don't understand that any truth, any truth at all, must be in the Old Testament. It must be revealed not only in the um, Old Testament, it'll be revealed in the law, it'll be revealed in the Psalms, it'll be revealed in the prophets, it will be revealed in the New Covenant, Jesus will speak it, and it will also be revealed in the Pauline Doctrine. And if it isn't in all of them, found the seed of it found in Genesis, and if you can't find in the Old Testament the Mosaic and ritual law, it, the typology isn't there, and if you can't find it in the prophetic worship, um, in the Psalms, and you then can't find it um, in the prophets, and you can't also find it in the teachings of Jesus, and you can't find it in the New Covenant, or you can't find it in any one of those individually, but you can find it in all the others, I want to tell you it's error. So when you ever look at a, a, at a teaching that comes out, you will find that always you can find it right through Scripture. And if you can't find it right through Scripture, don't believe it. So the first thing you do, you'll find the seed of it in Genesis. You will always find that it's revealed in the law and it'll be revealed in the typology and, if it's, and it'll then be revealed in the Psalms and it'll also be revealed in the prophetic books. And then you'll find Christ will always speak of it and you will find it always in the Pauline teaching. If you don't find it in all of those, it is not safe to believe in it. Is that okay? Hello. For instance, uh, I was talking with Dr. Hayden, I'm doing my uh, Doctor of Ministry on, on spiritual warfare, and I was rather interested to uh, thinking about it. Uh, why is it that a lot of the doctrines are taught on one subject, which is Satan uh, being the covering cherub? Now when you start looking at scripture, they've only got one scripture for it, and that's in Ezekiel. And then you go back and you start saying, just a minute, when God wanted to guard the Garden of Eden, it were cherubims, plural, who went outside. There was one sword, but, which went every way, but it was cherubims that were the guardians. Then you find that it was cherubims in Hebrews that guarded the glory of God. And then you discover, and when you look through the scriptures, you find always that it was plural. When Moses designed the Ark of the Covenant, there were cherubim. It wasn't one, cherubims. And then you look and you see that it wasn't a matter of a most beautiful beast, 
because all round the holy place, the holy of holies, they had cherubims sewn into the tapestry. So the idea that there was some great anointed being coming out of one scripture does not stand up with the whole of scripture. So what people have done is they've rested it because they didn't understand that archaeology would tell you that a cherub, it wasn't a cherubim, uh, which was meant to be guarding the temple and you start talking about the king of Tyre, the whole thing was talking about a temple and temple worship. It was not talking about what happened in Eden. Eden was the name of a garden that was in the temple, a heathen temple. And, and yet, people have made their whole doctrine and have got hierarchical spirits out of the basis of that teaching. And so the whole of the spiritual warfare is built on a lie, right from the start. But, no one bothered to say, hey, is it in all the scriptures all the way? So always, when you get a teaching, what you want to find out is, does it appear right through the whole of scripture? Redemption starts in Genesis. You'll find it in Psalm, you'll find it in the Prophets. You'll find it in the law. You'll find it, Christ spoke of it, you'll find it in the Pauline teaching, won't you? All the way through. Anything that God wants us to know is right throughout Scripture, and you must be able to prove it throughout the whole of Scripture. Otherwise, don't believe it. And what has happened in our modern day is someone grasps one Scripture in one place and then tries to fit doctrines around it. And that's where danger comes. And so God wants us to be smart, not foolish. And God wants us to be wise and, and realize, hey, the teachings of the Scriptures are consistent right throughout the whole of Scripture. If you hear a prophecy and it doesn't go through the whole of Scripture and the principle is in the whole of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, then don't believe it. I tell you, if it's not consistent with the principles of God, I don't care who it is, it's wrong. Can't be right. And so, we're looking at the basis of life. Now some of you might say, well, you know, I was baptized in the Spirit and I know a lot of people have got the baptism in the Spirit. Pentecostals love, uh, you'd think 1 Corinthians 12 was the only kind of chapter for Pentecostals and they forget 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 were written as correctives, not as patterns for what would be, but as correctives of total abuses. And that was the, the whole Corinthian letters written to a church that's gone into apostasy virtually. And that when you look at it, you can never look at it as a pattern for what should be, but as an, a correction to excesses. And therefore, to look at something that's, that someone's trying to correct 
uh, and say, well, there you are, that's what the pattern is, is wrong. Just isn't right. So we want to look and spend time, okay? You all understand that, do you? Um, if you want to know where the whole idea of uh, looking at things critically came from, probably the, the chief exponent of it was a man called um, Kenyon, who actually began to look. And he was worried about teachings he got trapped in, and so he looked, started looking uh, at ways of identifying it. Um, but always, when I started, my, my whole purpose when I started seeing the errors that were coming in in the discipleship move, I went back to the scriptures. I mean, I look at everything. I okay, I'll just bring it to your attention. It's the latest error. And Jay Bez. What's that mean in the Hebrew, Dr. Hayden? A what? You're saying it's a sorrow maker. Okay. Oh yeah, because I bear him in sorrow. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldst keep me from evil that it may not grieve me. And God granted that which he requested. Now, what's wrong with that prayer? Anyone? Come on. What's wrong with it? Why wouldn't that be a Christian prayer? You're asking for his kingdom, not yours. This is for your own kingdom. Everything's me, 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 me. Bless me. And like Michael, I don't want to get him bothered with evil because it trouble me. Totally self-centered. Is that a Christian way to live? I thought we say, "Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come." This is me, me, me. You say, "Well, God gave him his request, so he did." But when people ask me, 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 there's something wrong. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, thou would enlarge my coast, that thine hand might be with me, that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. But we should not be wanting to grieve God, should we? I, I realize this. What God set us in the earth to do is to bless others. He didn't set us... If, if your prayer is just me, 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 
was wrong. He said, you know, the disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, look, get your eyes on God. It's not me, it's us. First of all, lead us not into temptation, isn't it? God intended us to be part of the body of Christ. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us. Strange. This is self-centered, isn't it? John 10.10 You remember, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And we looked at the thing uh, that's most important. Zoe life is divine eternal life, quality of life. And when you start looking, the one thing that matters in life is that you have life uh, you've got to be alive in God and I, as I said last time I want to go on I don't want to go back over everything I said but you remember we were talking about new birth you've got to be born and that anyone who's a true Christian is alive in God they've got new life in Christ and if you haven't got that new life in Christ you're none of his if you haven't received the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. And that new life determines a new nature, new attitude, new walk, and it happens. And Spurgeon put it this way, that no one can be born again and not know it, because it's like an electric shock when you put your fingers in an electric plug and the voltage runs up your arm you know you've got an electric shock he said so is everyone who's truly born and a lot I find of people are always asking the question they want to know where they are whether they're in life whether they aren't in life am I saved aren't I saved well it, it's not a question of that it's a question of have you a new nature or haven't you that a lot of people are messed up in their lives because they don't any longer believe in a new birth. Believes that you ask Jesus into your heart and you pray a prayer and you say you're a sinner and if you do that, you're saved. Well, that is not true. You might be forgiven your sins if you have faith that Christ paid the debt of your sins, but you're not, you're not truly in life. You're not life, and you're not born. Birth happens when God births you from above, and you're not the person you were first born. In a whole teaching where people are coming, and they're going to church, and you'll know that they're not real, because when there's a, an appeal, they come out and respond to the gospel again and again and again, because they don't know, because God's never really met them. They're not sure. Well, I know the day God met me, and I'll tell you this, no one in heaven or earth or in all eternity could ever convince me 
that God didn't do it. I know he did. I know the day, the moment it happened. For goodness sake, change my nature, change everything within me. And anyone that's born knows the day came. Now does that mean, you know, some people say, well, you've got to be a real sinner to have an experience like that. Well, I was. That would convince me that the person that says it doesn't believe he ever was a sinner. You must know the day and the moment. That's it. If you don't, something's wrong. Now what happens if you were born again as a child? And therefore your thinking wasn't really abstract because you hadn't read Piaget but you knew his theories on education and therefore you understood that until you were 12 you weren't allowed to think in the abstract. Well you have a problem with that because Zinzendorf's son at the age of four was writing hymns and was truly filled with the Holy Ghost and was, wrote some tremendous hymns and could read um, and also, you know, was um, able to understand Greek uh, I mean, you know, at four and he had a concept, an understanding of God now was it the same understanding that a full adult had? yes, I believe it was because spiritual understanding is known by the spirit not by the natural mind the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God can he? neither can he know them Corinthians, is that right? so there, there comes a day when you're born and everything comes alive and that day is a tremendous day the word of God becomes the most precious thing to you life comes in and it's real. That is new birth. That is whatever you want to call it. Now no one was born again until Pentecost. Now the reason for that was they couldn't be. Now I know some people would say, ah oh, well what happened when Jesus breathed on them? Didn't they know? Their minds were open to understand the scriptures but their nature change didn't happen because they couldn't be born because the blood hadn't yet gone back um, Jesus hadn't ascended to the Father the blood was not yet offered because until ascension he didn't enter his priestly office so the new covenant couldn't be entertained now you say well supposing Jesus went back to heaven and then came back again and after, on the third day he ascended into heaven and then came back again uh, for the 40 days and then uh, went back and there were 10 days between his ascension and Pentecost and so therefore the priestly office was about the third day no well that's not true he just didn't go back he didn't ascend twice he ascended into heaven once and it says in scripture that God would not send his son back to earth So once he ascended, now what he did, 
He did say to Mary, don't hold on to me. Why? Because he had work to do. He had people to see. He had revelations to bring. He had a work to do while he was on earth. And he was seen above 500 people. And he went and visited people. And, you know, I know there's a lot of questions come up in your mind. What happened to the people when the graves opened up, you know, on the day of crucifixion, and they went into the towns, they came alive, these people, what happened? What happened to them? I mean, who knows? I don't. Bible doesn't tell us. So I don't know. One of them could be your neighbor. I don't know. I mean, there are things the Bible doesn't tell us. Now you can conjecture all sorts of things, but anything God wants us to know, he tells us. And what he doesn't want us to know, we should not conjecture and make up ideas and then say, well, we believe this or we believe that. Hey, I don't know. What does it mean to be baptized for the dead? I don't know. It's faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've got to always be careful to see that everything flows in the whole flow of Scripture and everything we believe is right throughout Scripture. So that we don't ever get trapped into the silly errors that occur and in Ephesians they talk about you shouldn't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And new teachings come up all the time. You can't run out of talking about life. And life more abundant. It incorporates everything. And I've only got one message I ever preached, so that's it. Right, one John, let's go on then. Um, no, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 first. 2 Corinthians 5. You remember, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, do you believe that? And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of recon reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, every single person that's born is a new creation. And if you look at it, it says, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. That means your old man, your old nature has passed away. You've got a new nature, you've got a new heart, you've got a new spirit, and you're born from above. Is that clear? Hello. Now, someone will come to you and they'll say, well, what does it mean then when it says you've got to mortify your members that are upon the earth? Quite simple. 
you have a choice from now on because you're a new creation whether you're going to go back and live in the same routine and life or whether you're going to make the choice to go God's way and deny yourself Jesus made it plain he said if you want to be my disciple deny yourself take up your cross follow me but once you're born you for the first time in your life have choice up to that point you were a servant of sin, you were a slave to it. When you're born, everything becomes new. You've got a new mind, new heart, new spirit, and you're alive in God. Now, the thing you must do is you mustn't allow your old habits and life to re-exert um, themselves, so you have to mortify them, put them to death. All right? That's choice. You can choose how you live. It's called repentance, if you want to put it another way. And the same thing, you put off the old to put on the new. You walk in newness of life. But to walk in newness of life, you make a choice not to walk in the old way. Now I find many people who have a real experience of God, after a week or two, they begin to go back to their old ways. And you say, ah, well were they saved? Yes, they were. If so be, they had a new nature, a new change. But, God does not take away your free will, nor does God take away your natural desires, nor does God in any way make you a different person in the sense that you are totally unable to do what you did do. It's a choice of life. You remember the disciples went back fishing. Fishing seems to be not a good occupation. When the disciples went back to fishing, got themselves in trouble. Anyway, why did they need to go back fishing when Jesus already had the fish cooking on the shore? Because they wanted to waste their energy. Alright? So, beware of fishing. I like to fly fish myself. <laughs> Beware of fishing. It's going back and doing what God didn't call you to do. He took you out of one way so you could live for his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God's calling us out of our old way into a new way. A new and living way, it says. Uh, and that is what the new birth's for. Before that, you couldn't possibly live the right way. But when you're born from above, everything in you wants to go God's way. Wants to please God. It's just that you've got natural tendencies that don't. And that's where the problem comes, isn't it? Your appetites. Uh, it's amazing, as I said, I've watched people sell their souls so cheap. God comes, offers them everything. And yet, there is a snare, the deceitfulness of riches. 
They're a snare. There's something deceitful about them. You say, well, doesn't God want to prosper me? Yes and no. And everything is yes and no. You see, the amazing thing is that if God prospers you in a certain way, you'll soon forget him. One of the problems with the children of Israel, as soon as they were bountifully blessed, they forgot God. And then God had to bring things into their lives to judge them. Now a Christian is in an unfortunate position. And I want you to understand this, because with a Christian, judgment doesn't come. And therefore, you can do what's wrong and go the wrong way and God's not going to stop you. In fact, you could gain the whole world and God wouldn't stop you. Why? Because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance and you pass from judgment to life. And you can't, once you're in grace, move out of it. There's a lot of stories about the dealings of God. Well, the dealing of God is this. God is good. All the time. And the problem with it is that when God gives you such blessing and life and opportunity, God also restricts what he'll do in your life. And therefore, you can go on and you can live and people might think you're blessed of God and you are because wealth cometh from the Lord but the Lord will not withdraw his hand and he won't judge you. Oh yes, there will be a day of judgment. <laughs> you'll be saved as by fire uh, and you'll suffer loss. But the problem is that to all intents and purposes you've gone wrong. Now, the only way you'll know is inside you'll know because your love of God will grow less and your love of riches and wealth will grow greater. Love of money is the root of all evil. It is. It's a root that gets into people's hearts but it will destroy them. But I want to tell you, don't think God's going to step in and do something about it. He's not. God will not violate grace. Once you're in grace, I tell you, you have a tremendous responsibility. So well, what about in Revelation where he says, he'll send the angel and they'll take away the candlestick. Ah, There'll be a time when your life will go and there's appointed unto man once to die and God has foreknowledge and so by his grace he won't give you that much life. Your candle will be taken away. However, and you'll find if you go back into Proverbs and you look through scripture you'll find candle and, and life and light are all you know to do with life. I don't want to get into that study just at the moment, but I will 
at some point. So life is there. Grace is there. You say, well, God's sovereign. Yeah, but he sovereignly chose grace. And once you're in a state of grace, you don't deserve anything. But, but because you don't deserve it, and it's not a works, it'll actually operate. And you can learn the secret of operating faith for your own ends. And if you do that, God won't stop you. And that's where the tremendous problem comes. <laughs> because people think, because they're being blessed, apparently, in the natural, that they're in God's will. No, 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 no. There's a question of God's will and walking in it to be blessed and there's a question of just being blessed with natural things because you've learnt principles but it's not according to God's way and that's not taught anymore so in America you've got the blessing you know make me rich bless me heal me and the people, I don't deny that some of them had a real encounter with God and probably did come into real life. And you see them and they get up and they do the most outrageous things and they gather money, wealth, they buy their jets, they, they do everything and you think, well, you know, what's going on? Well, you see, they're in a state of grace. They learn how to live in grace. But they forgot to learn the responsibility you have before God when you live there. They forgot. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. They forget. There's a tremendous price being paid. Jesus Christ bled and died for you and I. And we can't take the grace of God and live our way and get away with it in the end but it doesn't mean God's going to somehow zap you or, or condemn you or judge you that's the terror of it Do you know in the Corinthian church when Paul wrote to them he said I've got a problem my problem is this that you come behind in no gift my problem is that you boast of the grace of God and you've gone to such extremes that the Gentiles wouldn't dream of it and he tries to bring in apostolic correction because he doesn't know how he's going to stop it and he says look I, I, I'm telling you you're going the wrong way but the strange thing is God isn't condemning God isn't judging that to me becomes a terrible thing, doesn't it? Hmm? You say, well, what about it? It says, you know, the, the angels 
didn't keep their first estate. Yeah, but the trouble is when you're a son of God, you're a son forever. When you're born and you're a child of God, you are a child of God. You have all the rights of a son. It'll operate. And no one today dare preach that. I've never heard anyone get up and say it. All my life, I don't think I've heard one person get up and say it. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. And that's what the book says. <laughs> All the time. You know, there was David, he got himself in the right mess. He was Old Covenant. Okay, we're talking of Old Covenant now. David got himself in a mess. Did he not? And God said, there's a man perfect in all his ways. <laughs> and you look and you think, just a minute. He arranged murder. I mean, did he? Yeah, he did. I mean, David pulled some stunts in his time, didn't he? And God said, there's a man perfect in all his ways. And you think... Now, that's in Old Covenant with the law and judgment. Imagining grace. Boom. You're in a different realm. That's why Paul wrote to them. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, you, you, you've got to understand that, that you can become the servant of sin again and, and grace is still going to be your lot because you're a child of God. Uh, and there, people haven't got a realization of the terror of the fact that you can go on blindly thinking it's okay. You see... Inside the Holy Spirit is a true and faithful witness. You will run from conviction and you'll run from correction. You will. You say, well, doesn't the Lord chasten every son whom he receives? How does he do it? I'll tell you how he does it. By your conscience. The person you find hardest to live with is yourself. When you go wrong... You run from light. You feel uncomfortable when people of light are around. So you spend more and more time with people of darkness. And you say, well, you know, you can have just as good of friends in the world as you can in the church. Hey, just why? I'll tell you why. And you devote your time more to establishing the things of hell than the things of God. Why? Because your spirit has already made a choice. And so more and more, you become a child of the serpent in the way you live, but it doesn't alter the fact that you're in an, unenvi you're in an unenviable position because grace is a principle you learn and spiritual principles are going to operate. That's why the Corinthian church needed an apostle to come along and start putting them right. 
challenging them, facing them up. But I find in today's world, people don't want to be faced up with truth. I find in today's world, people won't take correction. What they'll do is they'll harden their heart and go their own way. And I've come to the conclusion that the only thing you can do is let them go. Because in the end, they're not going to change because they don't want to. And they've got free will. And so in the church, you preach the gospel and you preach the truth and you know that there'll be those who'll sit there and even though they had a real new birth, they're hardening their hearts and they're going to go their own devil's way. But, there'll come a day when they'll come to themselves and hopefully they'll be smart enough to get out of the pig pen and say, hey, unfortunately, there are very few deathbed repentances. But you're going one of two ways in your life. You're going more into God or you're going more into the world. And I'm talking of born again people. The Corinthian church, they had a new birth. Can't deny it. He said you were babes. And therefore, you've got to understand that, that when we talk of life, uh, you say, well, don't you know them by their fruit? No, unfortunately, after a time, a person can make a choice and they can go to begin to go wrong and, and they start going down that pathway. God won't take the gift back. And if you've learnt to function in a certain level of faith, you'll find these gifts and callings without repentance. So you can use the very things that were sent to bless you, and in the end they become the biggest curse in your life. And you blindly race on. Crash, bang, wallop. Now that is the problem with grace. That's why I think Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He wanted always to bring people back to a realization, and I think I don't think it's good to do it every week, but I do think it's good to do it, you know, uh, on occasions to bring people back, just to bring them to remembrance. Hey, look. Your life was bought at a tremendous price. God sent his only son. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. What are you doing with your life? What are you building in your life? Are you living for God or living for yourself? real questions 
got life and life more abundant. See a lot of people in strength of life who are more concerned with making their millions than they are with dealing with the currency of heaven. So, well, I've got to provide for wife and family. Yeah, you see, Jabez's prayer. Let's, let, let's get bigger, let, let's grow, let's develop, let's, let's open up all over the world, yeah? Fine, Jabez's prayer. Me, me, me. I'd rather John's prayer. Hey, I want to be fruitful. Wouldn't you? You didn't mind me using a good example. You know, that, that, that's healthy, isn't it? I want to do what will really be for God. You see, you've got life and life more abundant. What are you going to do with it? You have a responsibility. There's a sin-sick world. There's a hurting world. And you've got the treasure that they've never heard of and you haven't even made any effort to increase your knowledge in it that you can impact it in such a way that every gift you have can be used to multiply. No, you buried it and you said, I've got other things to do in life. Well, you know, I've married a wife, I cannot come. Well, you know, I, I've I bought a yoke of oxen, I've I got to go prove them. Well, someone's just died, better go bury them. You all got excuses. But the real issue is, God's given you the greatest gift of all, eternal life. Now what are you going to do with it? Question. Or are you going to say to God on that day, well, look, I kept it safe. Here it is. And that's really the issue that comes to everyone. Well, you can say, well, you know, I'm successful. I'll build bigger barns. I'll do this, I'll do that. God says, fine, but uh, this night your soul's required of you. Who's going to have it then? So my question to you, friend, is if you have life and you have true new birth, what are you doing with the gift and the grace that God's given you? Do you realize there's tremendous persuasive authority in the spirit? When you're born from above, you have a creative power within you that can create what you want rather than what God wants. A long time ago, God stopped me in my ministry and said, just a minute. And he showed me 
that I had authority and power to do things. And I began to understand what God had given me. And then he asked me a question. He said, you, you know you can do it. But you don't have the right to do it. And I learned a secret. Secret was this. I don't want to do what I don't see the Father doing. I don't want to tell people what I don't hear the Father saying. I've got a restricted covenant. Not that there's any restriction on it, because there isn't. My only prayer is being God, don't ever let me lose any that you've given me. I, I don't care who comes or who goes. Don't let me lose those you've given me. And then the restrictive covenant is, you're not entitled to take the gift and use it for your own ends. You can only do what God wants. And that's in every area of everyone's life. It doesn't mean that you haven't got the ability to use it for yourself. Of course you have. But the price is too high. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? See, to me, it's more important to know this book and to know everything about God and to have the eyes of my understanding being enlightened. I might know what the hope of his calling is. To have my mind enlivened by God and just walk humbly before him. But in the end, I, I've got no ambition but to do his will. In the end, I, 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 I've not got any great vision. I just want to do what he says. I want to follow him and be faithful to him and use what he gave me for his ends. And that's really the question in everyone's life. What are you going to do with it? You've got life and life more abundant. And I've only got through one line of my notes. I just realized that this is not what I'm talking about. I'm to there. Uh, and I, I'll do it on Sunday. But it's the most important thing. We need, we need to walk humbly before God. Hey, every one of us wants to do His will. We've got to live for him. Do you know that my dear friend, the Archbishop, Benson Ederhoser, when he died, all his relatives were shocked to find in all his bank accounts, there wasn't $300. They all thought he had millions. He hadn't even got $300. When he went home, 
they realized that everything he ever got he put in the work of God they thought he was dying a millionaire he poured out his life unto death but he lived for the king of kings and he was faithful and he burnt out for God and on his grave only the words man of faith not even his name just man of faith I wonder if they could put that on your grave I wonder if that would be your heritage. I just wonder. It's so important to take the gift you have and use it for him, isn't it? Hmm? Multiply it. Everything that I am for his glory. Would to God I could find 50 men like John say, hey, I want to be fruitful. I want to learn, I want to know, I want to have an answer. And change the nation. I've got a lot of ambitious people. Don't need them. people with life laid down. Amen. Okay, I, I'm going to finish there.